Well, like I said, we are starting a new book, and you will know more about the book of John than hopefully any other book of the Bible when we're done with this year. We're starting the book today, and at the beginning of every book, there's an introduction, right? But I want you to imagine I gave you a different kind of introduction. I sat you down, Alexandra and I took you out to lunch today. We were working on the Reese's Puffs, maybe. We're trying to get through that whole box in one day. We sit down, and I tell you all about a person who's going to be special to you. Not just any person, but I tell you all about your future spouse. Ladies, I tell you how tall he's going to be, what color hair he has, what color his eyes are, the weird things he does, right? his weird little tics. Guys, I'll tell you about what she's going to look like, what her name is, where she's from, and I tell you all about your future spouse. And I introduce you, I tell you about this person. Right? And like not in a figurative way, like, oh, maybe. Like, I, no, this was the actual person that you're going to be with. Your best friend, the person that's going to be the person you're going to spend the rest of your lives together with, right? That, this person. I'm going to introduce you to this person. I wonder how you would listen to what I have to say, and I wonder what you would take away from that. If I said I'm going to introduce you to this person, but it's actually going to be a long time until you're going to meet them. You're not going to meet them for another 10 years, but I'm going to tell you all about them right now. You'd probably be excited to know about them, to read about them, to see their picture, to learn about them, all those things. It would probably get you excited hopefully, unless you're like, ew, gross, right? Um, but hopefully you'd be excited about it. Well, what the Apostle John does at the beginning of his book is exactly that. He's gonna introduce you to this person that you're actually not gonna meet for a long time. You're gonna read about him, but as the book of First Peter says, you're gonna read about him and hopefully you're gonna grow to love this person before you ever see them face to face. And that is the person, the most important person in the Bible, the answer to all the Sunday school questions, that's the person of Jesus. And that's what he's writing to do. So I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to look at this. So turn to the book of John, John chapter one, verse one. We're gonna look at this important passage about how Jesus is introduced to us. Not just his hair color, not just his eye color, but he's gonna talk about even bigger and badder things. He's gonna talk about huge things about Jesus that we need to understand who he is because he's a unique person. He's not like everybody else. And it's so important we understand that and we get a better picture of who he is. So as you turn to the book of John, you realize, wow, John preached through Philippians four chapters in a year. How's he gonna get through 21 chapters in a year? Well, we're gonna do something that's gonna be a little bit different, especially for your eighth graders. We are gonna be taking big chunks at a time. And today we're taking 18 verses. And I don't wanna gloss over this, so I just wanna warn you about this before we get into this. There is so much more to these 18 verses than I'm gonna be able to cover today in the next 35 minutes. I mean, there's so much more to this. This is one of the biggest and most important chapters in all the Bible that we learn about who Jesus is, that we learn about what he came to do. So this is gonna be kind of a flyover view we're gonna take. But before we do that, I want to read you something that John said at the end of his book. John is one of the few writers in the Bible who actually told us the exact reason why he wrote his book. He actually does it twice. He does it in the book of Revelation. And he also does it in the book of John here. He tells us exactly why he's writing it. So this is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Let me read this to you. It says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He says the entire reason he wrote this book and the entire reason we're going to study it now is he says, I want you to believe two things about Jesus. First of all, that Jesus is the Christ, right? That's the Holy One, the Anointed One of God. 
God's savior for the world, not just for the Jewish people, but also for the whole world. And that's what we find out in this book. We wanna believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's our savior. Also, that he's the son of God, that we understand that he's not just a normal person. He's not just a regular average Joe. He's, he's different. Yes, he is a, a human. He's a man, but he's more than that. He's the son of God. And also, not that you just would believe facts about him, because that's important, but the second part of what he says is that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the two reasons we're gonna study this, this book together this year are the two reasons that John wrote the book, that you would believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and that by believing in him, you would have eternal life, that you would live forever in the best kind of way with Jesus forever. And there's nothing bigger than that. So that's why we're gonna cover this book this year. But I want you to look at John chapter one, verse one, a familiar passage to you perhaps, but I want us to check it out. And I want you to think of this in a whole new way. Right, I know you probably memorized this verse before. Some of you have heard a sermon on this. I want you to remove all that. And I want you just to think with fresh eyes at this verse. So think about it. Here's, here's what it says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, huge statement right there. This word, whoever this word is or whatever this word is, he's saying that it was in the beginning with God, that it existed from all time, that it was God. I mean, that's crazy. So whatever this word is, is really important, really powerful. Verse two, it says, he was in the beginning with God. And right? that's helpful for us when we see that. It's like, okay, it's not it was in the beginning with God. This is he. So we're talking about a person here, the word, a person. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him, was not anything made that was made. So anything that exists in this world right now was made because of this person that he's calling the word. Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse six says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And sometimes at this point you think, okay, the author's introducing himself. He's actually not. There's actually three Johns that you need to know about. There's John the Apostle, John the Baptist, and the John who's talking to you. Okay, so I'm third John, right? That's first John, second John, third John. Just kidding. Um, but there's multiple Johns in this passage, so don't get confused. Um, so John, sent from God. That's John the Baptist. It says, verse seven, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Not that all would believe in him, right? That's only the word, but all would believe through what he says about this word. It says, he was not the light, just to be clear, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. That's a big statement that might remind you of Christmas time, right? Where this word, this person, we're introduced to him again. He becomes flesh. He puts on flesh. Call that incarnation. That's a, a, a big fancy word, which means to put on meat, right? To put on flesh, which sounds weird. Have you ever put on meat? wear like a, a bacon sweater or something, a hamburger jacket. I don't know. What does that mean? Right? To put on meat. Well, it's this person, this word who's always existed now puts on a body, now lives as a human being. That's interesting. Verse 15, it's in parentheses for us, which is helpful. It reminds us that this is kind of a, 
going away from what he said at the beginning, he says, John bore witness about him, the word, and he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That's kind of confusing. John's saying, he who comes after me, who's going to be popular after I'm popular, he ranks above me because he actually existed before I was ever born. Whoa, big statement. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. That's Jesus. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through. This is the first time his name is mentioned in this section. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Okay, that's the section we're gonna talk about today. And as you can see, there's so much there and you probably had a lot of questions like, okay, what's, all, what's going on with the light business? What's going on with the dark business? Who is the word? What are we talking about? Well, the word is a, is a phrase that John uses. And I think the reason he uses it is because it meant something very important to two different groups of people, okay? Whenever you're reading the Bible, you have to remember, who is this being written to, okay? Because I'll just break something to you real fast. Um, the Bible was not written to you. Not directly, at least. Right? It's written to you in a, in a broader sense. The Bible says it's written for, for all of our instruction, but it was not written to you. John did not pick up his pen and write this to you. He wrote it to a group that he had in mind. So whenever we, we read the Bible, we have to think, okay, who was this being written to? Like we, that, it's so important for us to understand. Well, the church at this point, which by the way, this was written probably in about, um, about 90 AD or 80 or 90 AD. So this is a long time after Jesus died, at least 50 years after Jesus died and rose again, writing to a church that probably already had three gospels, okay? Probably already had Matthew, Mark, and Luke were probably already written and people already knew about them. So John writes this to a group of people. Some of them are Jewish, some of them are Gentiles, which is like the big thing we're reading in the book of Acts right now, where there's this big division, like, oh, there's Jews and Gentiles. What do we do? How do they get along? Well, the word meant something very important to the Gentiles. So I'll just go to them first. The Gentiles, the people who were not Jewish, people who were Greeks, the word was this concept which basically meant like that, that mystical, big, powerful force in the world that is how the world came into being, right? There were people like Plato and Aristotle and these you know, Greek philosophers, maybe you heard about them, they mentioned this. And even guys who were Jewish and Greek, kind of a mix, like a guy named Philo talks about it. That's a cool name, Philo. Um, he talks about it too, the word. Right? So this meant something big. And he defines what this big idea is for those people, okay? That's the, Jew, or the Greeks, right? What about the Jewish people? Whenever the Jewish people heard the word of God, right? think about that phrase, the word of God. What does that sound like? That sounds like something that you hear in the Old Testament a lot. What, what did the, the prophets say? And thus says the Lord, right? The word of God did this. The word of God says this. So it was this big, powerful force for the Jews and the Greeks, and it meant something big to both of them. But the sad thing is, to us, it doesn't mean anything, right? It's kind of the confusing thing about going to the gospel of John. It's like, yeah, trust me, like the word. It was a big deal to the Jews and the Greeks, but like not a big deal to us because we don't know what it means, right? Um, but what it meant was essentially Jesus, he's giving him this name, the word, that he is the creator, that he's God, that he's this big, powerful force that's not just a force because it says in verse 14, he put on flesh. He became a human being. So the first point I want you to get down from the first couple of verses here about how the word was in the beginning and the word was God, I want you to, point number one, recognize that Jesus is God. Recognize that Jesus is God. The hard part for us is in our minds, that might be the first place you go, right? When you think of Jesus, who is Jesus? If I ask you that question, who's Jesus? You'd say, well, he's the son of God. He's God, right? Well, for this group of people, 
when they heard Jesus, they were thinking Jim. Jesus was a common name. They were thinking Joshua. If I ask you, hey, who's Joshua? You're like, I don't know, like a, a kid I was in second grade with, right? Maybe your name's Joshua. It's like, uh, me, I'm Joshua, right? It was a common name. So when people heard it, they weren't thinking, whoa, big, majestic. They were thinking, yeah, that sounds like a, an average person, right? I don't know who Jim is. I don't know who Joshua is. Who is that? Right? So there's very, in their minds in the early church, like they had to prove and they had to go over the top to show Jesus was not just a guy. He was not just Jim. He was not just Joshua. He was God, right? So this is a huge statement he's making. In the beginning, which if you hear that phrase in the beginning, which is in the beginning, that should remind you of the beginning of the Bible in the beginning where it says in the beginning. Right? Do you follow that? Genesis 1.1, what does that say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You notice how he's kind of playing on that? There's the people that know Genesis and like you know Genesis, you're thinking, ah, he's trying to say something about that. There's a couple facts here about Jesus that are really important. First fact is this, the word was God in the beginning. So Jesus was God before he ever came to earth, right? So when we talk about how we were born or how we came to be, um, there was a point in time when you did not exist, okay? So just think that one through. There's a point in time when you did not exist as you. You were not you. You were not born yet. You were not conceived yet, right? When you were conceived, that's when you came to be, right? Then that's where your DNA was formed and all that stuff, boom, together. Now you're a person. Now you exist, right? Well, for Jesus, it's different, and he's the only person this is true of, that he existed before he was born. Think that one through. Imagine existing before you're born. That's weird. Um, that only applies to one person, Jesus himself. He was God. He was in the beginning. When God created the world, he was there, and not only was he there, what does it say in verse 2? He was in the beginning with God, and verse 3 says, all things were made through him. He was actually a part of that creation. That was shocking to call any person God. Just like if someone walked in here and said, I'm God, what would you say to them? Yeah, right. No, you're not God. Like you didn't make the world. You, that's not you. John saying, no, this is true of Jesus. He actually was God. He actually is God. Just as it would be shocking to you for me to bring someone up on stage and say, hey guys, just want to introduce you to Jim. Um, he's God. Right? You'd say, what? That's totally wrong. Right? That's how shocking it was for them to understand that this person, Jesus, was God. It's amazing. It's over the top. And because it was shocking, this is something that the people in the book of John find out over time. And not everybody gets it right away. John the Baptist gets it right away. And actually he progressed a little bit. But the end of the book, the climax of the book, is when one of the disciples realizes that Jesus is not just the Messiah. He's not just the Christ. He's God. From John chapter 20, verse 28, this is Thomas. If you remember Thomas, he's the guy who like didn't believe that Jesus resurrected Remember him? And they said like, oh, well, I'll believe in him if, if I see his hands and his feet. If I, if I put my hands in his scars, then I'll believe that he's risen again. You're probably, he's talking to the disciples. He said, you guys are just, you know, wanting to believe this. Jesus comes to him, right? And when Thomas sees Jesus and he feels his hands and he, he looks at his feet and he sees the scar, he falls down on his knees before him and he says, my Lord, which means master, boss, and my God. He's calling Jesus, God. So the, these kind of these statements bookend the beginning and the end of this book of John. Said fact number one was that the word was with God. And fact number two is that the word was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Another verse, I want you to write down this, this reference. Colossians chapter two, verses eight and nine. The reason that this is important, and you might say, okay, check mark, I've got point number one done. I recognize that Jesus is God. 
reason that's important is because today, just as it was then, there are plenty of people who if you ask them, hey, who is Jesus? Their first reaction would not be Jesus is God. Their first reaction would be um, he was a good teacher. He was a helpful philosopher. He was a social radical revolutionary. I don't know. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things about Jesus these days. Well, the first reaction should be Jesus is God. I had you write down Colossians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Here's what it says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That means lies that are just empty. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, which is a fancy way of saying all of God, his attributes, his character, his wisdom, all of his person, shoved into Jesus. Think about it that way. That's, a, that's incredible. That God's attributes, his wisdom, his not all, all encapsulated in a person for a period of, that's crazy. It's hard for us to even understand that. But being God, he shares all of God's attributes. And one of the most important things about God, one of the first things you remember about God is he's your maker. He's your creator. That's what John goes on to say in verse three. I kind of mentioned it before, but verse three, John 1, 3, says all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made, right? The confusing verse. I remember in Awana learning that verse and it's like, without him, not anything was made that was made. Isn't there an easier way to say that? Just that like nothing would exist without him, right? And you can think about it that way. Nothing would exist without Jesus. Point number two, I want you to write this down. Rely on Jesus as the giver of life because that's who he is. Rely on Jesus as the giver of life. He's not only your creator and your designer, verse four goes on and it says something even bigger about Jesus. Not only did he make you, but in him was life. If I ask you, what is life? Right? That's like, whoa, okay, hold on, I can't. What do you, what do you mean? Like, what is, what is life? Well, it says in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of man, of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We're gonna notice something in the book of John that I want you to see and recognize now. That sometimes when John says something, he means two things. This is a little bit weird. And it's usually not how um, we talk, we usually don't mean a, a double meaning, but there's a lot of times when John talks, we, he uses the word life, for instance. There's like this double meaning to what he's saying. So he's saying Jesus gives life, right? But he also gives life. Like, okay, you said the same thing. You just said it differently. You just, you just spoke with italics, right? Um, you know when you read a book and the words are scribbly, right? When they're slanted, that's italics, right? Um, he gives life, but he also gives eternal life. Right? So that's why in the book of John, we're going to see this a lot. When we see him say something that Jesus gives life, he also gives eternal life, real life, life that lasts forever. He's the giver of life. That's why I think he uses this illustration of light and darkness, okay? light and darkness. Whenever you have light, you don't have darkness. Right? Think about it. Whenever light's shining on something, it's not dark. You can't have light and darkness in the same, they're opposites, right? Just like black and white are opposites. Just like light and darkness are opposites. You can't, they're not both there at the same time. Right? What Jesus is saying, or what John's saying here about Jesus is that he gives light to people, which is life. It's like, okay, there's a lot of, <sighs> John, what are you doing, right? You, sometimes when you say, John, what are you doing? You can think of first John and third John here, John the apostle and me, because uh, it's a little bit confusing. But what he's trying to say is that Jesus gives us life, and he also gives us eternal life, but not to everybody. The problem is he came to give life, but not everybody's gonna receive him. Not everybody is gonna take that. 
Here's what he says later on in the book. This is John 8, 12. Jesus is speaking again. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay? In the Bible, light and darkness usually means one of two things. Um, light can oftentimes mean truth, right? Versus error or unbelief or or, or things that are not true, right? Light and darkness. We sometimes use that phrase, like, I, I see the light, I understand now, right? Or um, we have the light bulb that goes off over someone's head, right? What's that? That's the symbol of, oh, they get it, right? So when Jesus comes to give us light, what does that mean? He comes to give us understanding. Oh, we get it, right? Oh, I understand things about God now. Totally, that's one thing. The other thing that light oftentimes means is righteousness or goodness, as opposed to darkness, which we oftentimes think of darkness as like sin, and bad things, right? Those things happen in the dark. Those are they're represented by darkness or a, a stain, right? So Jesus comes to bring light, which is truth and righteousness, and to have us get rid of uh, darkness, which is sinfulness, wickedness, and disbelief or not truth. It says if we follow him, if we understand he's the light of the world. If we walk in his ways, we live for him, we'll have the light of life. Eternal life is the, the main focus of the book. Back in John chapter 20, when we mentioned at the beginning, John's reason for writing was not so that they would live to be 120 years old. Okay, you know what it says? We want you to believe and so believe and you'll have life. He's not saying I want you to live to be 150 or 120. That's not his point. He's not even saying I want you to be super rich and have a great life here. That's not the life he's talking about. You see how when John says the word life, you kind of have to say, hmm, what life is he talking about? Is he talking about eternal life? Is he talking about physical life? Well, in that time, I think he's talking about eternal life. That's what he's talking about here at the beginning too. Jesus came to give us eternal life. So when you rely on Jesus as the giver of life, just you can put in parentheses, um, also eternal life. Two times of life. And the second type of life is even more important. Look at verse six now. This is uh, John 1, 6. Now he transitions to talk about this John guy. We'll call him second John. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was a representative. He bore witness. I want you to imagine for a second, a courtroom. You ever seen um, like a movie or a TV show where there's a courtroom and it's all like, you know, cherry wood behind them? I feel like all, I don't know why courtrooms are that way. Uh, maybe you know, but it's always, you know, full of books or not, they don't have books in the courtroom. But you, have you ever seen like a, a movie where a lawyer has like this office where it's all a bunch of books and law books? And, and just imagine, put yourself in that scene real quick. And you see somebody in the courtroom who steps up and says, I saw this person do that bad thing, right? what are they? They're called a witness. They're, they witnessed something, they saw it, and they're acting as a witness. They're testifying. It's the technical word for it. Right? They're, they're speaking about it. What John's saying about John the Baptist is he knew something about Jesus and he spoke about Jesus. He goes on, he says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You might think, well, I wish John the Baptist was here because he could tell me all about Jesus because he was his cousin. Well, we have something, especially in this book, the Gospel of John, but all in the rest of Scripture too, that bears witness about Jesus. We have a witness to what Jesus did. And the witness we have about Jesus is not something, you think of maybe the Bible as, um, you know, that old book that your grandparents studied or that old book that sits on the shelf, right? Well, the nice thing about the Bible is that it's old. If the Bible was new, it would be wrong. And here's the reason for that, right? Try, try to get reliable historical information from somebody 100 years after it happened. 
when it hadn't been written down. That'd be a hard thing to do. How about 200? How about 500? How about 1,000? How about 2,000? What you're reading right here are the words of somebody who is one of Jesus's best friends, okay? Historical and reliable. Point number three, I want you to write this down. Uh, believe the historical witness about Jesus. If we're gonna understand who Jesus is, we have to understand and take John's word for it, the apostle John. We have to take Matthew's word for it. We have to take Luke's word for it. We have to take Paul's word for it. We have to look at the Bible and say, okay, this is gonna tell me the truth about Jesus. Sometimes people talk about the Bible like it's a game of telephone. Have you ever heard about the game of telephone where it's like a game where you have a big circle of people, right? And let's say we played with 20 of you, right? We got you in a circle. I whispered something in your ear, right? I, I, I whispered um, Reese's Puffs, okay? Because that's on my mind right now. Right? Reese's Puffs. And you whispered it to somebody else, Reese's Puffs. And then you whispered to them, Reese's Puffs. And then it gets changed. And then it's, um, I, I don't even know. Reese's, Reese's Cups, right? That's right, Reese's Cups, Reese's Cups, Reese's Cups, peanut butter cups. Whoa, I, somebody just took some uh, big liberty with that. Peanut butter cups, peanut butter cups. Th then it's, th then it's uh, you know, chocolate, whatever. And it changes over time. And when it gets back to the first person, they said Reese's Puffs, but this person said, no, it was uh, chocolate-chovered peanut butter cups with cereal, right? No, because it, it changes over time. Right? People think of the Bible as that because they think, oh, well, it's been passed down from generation to generation to generation, right? Well, here's the problem, right? What you're having your, your hands right now, this Bible, if you have an ESV Bible or if you have um, your phone out or whatever, this Bible was translated how many times? How many times do you think it was translated? Five times? 10 times maybe? 25 times? Translated once. Translated once. So it comes from the original language, but we have the original language and it's passed down Perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. And when there's little mistakes, we have so many, we have so many things, so many manuscripts that we can compare and say, oh, well, clearly this person, this one person made the mistake because all 10 of these are saying the same thing. This one is saying something different. Clearly, we can understand what it said. So you can have confidence that the Bible you hold, the book that we're reading, the Gospel of John, literally came from the pen of John the Apostle, the person who is one of Jesus' best friends that wasn't good enough for you. Here's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, right? Okay, basic. He died, rose again. That he was raised on the third day and that he appeared to Cephas, which is a fancy name for Peter, okay? Peter, he appeared to Peter and also the 12. Okay, so he appeared to the disciples. So if I have questions, I guess I could ask the 12 disciples, more than that. It says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. After Jesus was raised from the dead, not just 500 collectively, but 500 at one time. Right? You know how many people are in this room? Like 85, right? Like 85. You know, take this group and multiply it by six. That's basically 500 people. If I asked you, if, I mean, you're a witness that I was here today. If someone asks you, hey, was Pastor John at church today? You could be like, yeah, I saw him. I know he was there. Right? And there's plenty of you, there's multiple of you, so you guys can testify, right? Like if I disappear or something, right? The police come to your door and say, like, was Pastor John at church today, right? Which is probably not gonna go to you. Um, but let's just imagine they do. You say, yes, I was there. I could testify about it. I'm an eyewitness. I saw it, right? And then if they say, oh, I don't know about that. You say, wait a minute. No, I can go to my friend. You were there and you were there and you, we can all get together, right? Imagine we could get together 500 people who were a witness. That's what he's saying about Jesus. When he rose again, 500 people at once saw him. Then, he appeared to James, 
And then to all of the apostles, all the people who were his representatives. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. That's Paul. He appeared to Paul in this vision on the road to Damascus, as we read in our DBR recently. We have so much reason to believe the historical witness of Jesus because his friends wrote this down. This was not written down hundreds of years later. This was written down by his friends in their lifetimes. That was verse six to eight. Look at verse nine, back in John chapter one. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. We already talked about that. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That sentence right there is gonna be one of the things we learn all the time in the gospel of John. That Jesus comes to people. He's very clear about who he is. He's very clear that he's from God. And they say, no way. No way, you're not from God. You're not even 50 years old. How do you know Abraham? Like they asked all these questions that you're gonna read the gospel and you're gonna see, you're gonna say, ah, why don't they just get it? But he comes to his own people and they don't receive him. But to all who do receive him, which does not just include the original disciples. It doesn't just include the original audience. It also includes you if you receive him. To all who receive Jesus and who believe in his name, who trust him, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God, something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve to be called children of God because we've done horrible, sinful things. And we broke God's rules. Probably 10 times today you did. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But Jesus came to give us that right so that now we can trust him and be children of God through what Jesus did, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Point number four is probably the most important point so far. I want you to trust in Jesus as your savior. Trust in Jesus as your savior. That right there is at the heart of why John wrote this book and at the heart of why I wanna preach this book to you guys this year. That, and I know that this week there's no stories about Jesus. It's all just kind of over the top, like thinking about things about who Jesus is. But I do want you to see that this is the point of this book. And this is the point of why we do the narrow. This is the point of why we do church. That you would believe in Jesus as your savior because you need one. I need one. Because when we break God's rules, that makes God upset, and rightfully so. Just like when we break our parents' rules and we get in trouble, we don't get mad at them for us getting in trouble when we knew the rules and we broke them. We've got to understand it. Say, yes, I guess I know I broke the rules, so I guess I deserve whatever consequence you've decided for me. With God, the consequence is so big because he's so big. I know we talked about that last week. But you've got to trust in Jesus as your Savior. I want us to turn to one passage in the Gospel of John. Turn to the right a couple pages to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Another famous text we're going to look at. We're going to get there hopefully by the end of summer. We're going to study this in John chapter 3 in about eight or nine weeks. But I want to preview it to you because it tells us exactly what he's saying here at the beginning. John chapter 3. Look at verse 16. You know this verse. But I want you to see what he says after verse 16. John three sixteen. Wow. It says, for God so loved the world. So it doesn't mean some people think that God loved the world so much, right? If you're going to paraphrase this, that's not what he's saying. He's saying God loved the world in this way. This is how God loved the world. People talk about how God's love and how God would never condemn people, right? God would never send people to hell, right? That's what people say about God. Well, problem is, he's saying this is how God loved the world. That God gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, you trust in him and his payment for your sin on the cross, those people will not perish, but they'll have eternal life, which is more than just living forever to infinity and beyond. 
will live forever. Perfect kind of life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't need to do that. It says, but in order that the world would be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. See, he's not saying he, he sent Jesus in the world to prove how sinful people were. That wasn't his point. His point was to save the people that would turn to him. But the problem is whoever doesn't believe in Jesus, they're condemned already because we all do sinful things. When we're born, the first time we make any mistake in any decision, even before that, because we belong to the human race and we inherit a sin guilt from our great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, we're guilty already. And the first time we have the opportunity to sin, that's what we do. Sent Jesus in the world not to condemn it, but to save it. Verse 19 says, and this is the judgment, that the light came into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See how John likes to use light and dark a lot in his book? He uses it here too. Light and dark. Whoever comes to the light, it says in the next verse, his works are exposed. Check it out. It says, verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. It's like um, cockroaches. It's like things that you shine a light on and they, they run away. They like the darkness. This is what he says we're like too. We like sin and we like error. We don't like the truth because when we hear the truth, it tells us that we're not great people, that we're sinful and we deserve God's punishment. And he says, and people don't like to hear that because once they hear that, they're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to hear that because I, I want to do my, my sinful things. I want to live for myself. I want to be selfish. I want to say those bad words. I want to fit in with this popular crowd that's going against what God's word says. I, you know, I want to do that. That's how people are, are programmed to think. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works were carried out in God. God sent Jesus into the world so that we could be saved, but we have to trust in him because plenty of people, and we're gonna see it over and over and over again in this book, they don't trust in Jesus and they're condemned already because they're sinful and so are we. We have to trust in Jesus to be saved. Turn back to John chapter one, look at verse 14, the Christmas verse. You might've heard this before. It says, in the word, that's representing Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. They lived among us for a short amount of time. Jesus lived on earth. Right? He's not living on earth in the same way he was then. And that's why even John, writing in about 80, 90 AD, he looks back you know, 50, 60 years and says, the word became flesh. He lived here and he dwelt among us for a short amount of time. That word dwelt is the word um, which means to, to live in a tent. Right? You probably lived in a tent before, maybe for one night, maybe for two nights. Maybe for zero nights. Anybody never slept in a tent before, ever? Anybody? Anybody want to admit that? Yeah, a couple people. Okay, cool. Everybody else, it's like, hey, I, I prefer not to sleep in tents, right? And that's the whole thing. Jesus lived in this body for a short amount of time, and it's like it was, he was like in a little tent for a little bit on earth. It says he lived in that tent, but now he's, he's gone again. It says, but when he was here, we understood more of who God was. It says, we've seen his glory, glories of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now drop down to verse 18 says something very similar. It says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, but Jesus, he has made him known. This is one of the main themes of this book, and I want us to write this down for point number five. Um, it's this. I want you to get to know God through Jesus. Get to know God through Jesus. That is what we're going to hear time and time again from this book. Not that you're just learning information about God, but now 
you're going to step beyond that and getting to know him personally, getting to know what he's like, what he likes, what he doesn't like, how he wants us to live, how he doesn't want us to live. I skipped over verse 16, which talks about grace and truth. It says, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The first grace, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses is not the bad guy in this. It's not saying, yeah, Moses gave the law and he told people, you know, follow this law or die. That's not the point. That was grace. And when he says grace upon grace, I think what he's talking about is he first of all gave people the grace in the Old Testament of knowing the Bible, knowing right from wrong, giving the law. But now through Jesus, we have something even better. He's given us grace on top of grace. Not only do we have the law and not only can we know what's right and wrong according to God, but we can also know how to be saved. We can also believe in Jesus and have a perfect relationship with God through Jesus. There's something maybe you know about me, maybe you don't. Um, it's that I like ice. Okay? I like ice a lot. Might be an inherited thing. Do you like ice? Do you like the good ice? Not, not the, the big ice cubes, you know, like the huge ice cubes, but I'm talking about the, the little, you know, little pellets, right? The Chick-fil-A ice, right? You know what I'm talking about? Or even better, Cane's. That ice is even better than Chick-fil-A. Right? No comment on Cane's and Chick-fil-A. Um, what do you think, Cane's or Chick-fil-A? I don't know. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Right, all the Christians say Chick-fil-A, right? All the, all the people who like good ice say Cane's, right? So I'm just gonna put this out here, okay? You can disagree with it if you want, but I think Cane's ice is a little bit finer, it's a little bit smaller than Chick-fil-A. So I like it just a little bit more, but no, hey, I like Chick-fil-A. I've come around, I was a, I was a Chick-fil-A hater for a long time. I will confess that to you, I didn't like it. Now I kinda like it a little bit more. But anyway, um, that ice, it's good ice. So last year, Alexander and I got married, and the weirdest thing you do when you get married is you make a registry, okay? A registry is basically a wish list. Imagine you make a wish list and everybody wants to get you stuff on your wish list. It's like the coolest thing ever. That's why you should get married one day because you get to make a registry and people just buy. It's like your birthday, like times a million. They think it's the biggest deal. It's like just buy a stuff. So on our, our registry, we put on an ice maker and a good ice maker, okay? And someone in this room actually bought it. Blake Bush, your family kind of helped us out with that. It was good. All right. Thanks, Blake Bush. Um, I always think of you when I'm eating the ice. It's, never mind. I don't think of you when I'm eating the ice. Um, <laughs> I thought of you right now because I'm looking at you. Um, anyway, it's this ice. But here's the problem with our ice maker. I, I hate to break it to you. It broke. It broke. Sorry, but no, it broke. But, but there's good news to this story. It broke. And for a while, I couldn't enjoy the ice. I'm thinking, man, this ice maker, right? The only purpose of this ice, it's a big ice maker. It sits on, like, the only reason I need to have this in my house is if it makes ice because that's its point. That's its whole purpose. So Alexander and I did a little research. We got it fixed. And now it works again. It's great. But here's the problem. When it wasn't working, it was not doing its, its whole purpose. It was just taking up space on the, on the cabinet. According to God's word, our entire purpose for existence is to please God, is to have a relationship with God. And that's why we need Jesus, because we're broken. We're like that ice maker sitting on the, the shelf, not making ice. Right? The whole purpose of the ice maker, selfishly, is so that I will get good ice. That's the whole reason I have it. I wouldn't have it if I don't want good ice. The whole reason God made us was to have a relationship with him and to know him and ultimately to please him. Because in this illustration, right, what are you? Are you the person who's enjoying the ice or are you the ice maker, right? You're the ice maker. Kind of stinks. It's kind of cold, right? But you're the ice maker. What you're doing is you're trying to make ice for the person who made you, the person who owns you. That's God himself. But when that relationship is broken, we, we can't do our intended purpose, that's why Jesus came. He came to fix us, 
He came to fix us even though we're broken. He came to restore the relationship we were designed to have with God. That's going to be the main theme of this whole book. And as we study it, I want you to be thinking as we read the Bible and as we pray, and as we do small groups and as we do all the fun things we want to do in the narrow this year, I want you to be thinking, I want to get to know God. I want to talk to God. I want to hear from God. I want to worship God. I want to respond to God. I want to live for God. And that's only possible through Jesus. So that's the beginning of this book. I want to continue it as we come here next week. But I want us to pray right now. God would help us get to know him through Jesus. So let's pray. God, your word gives us so much information about you. And I know that this morning we looked at a really famous passage. We're thankful that you're described as the word, the eternal word, always existing, doing God's work. Thank you for introducing us to Jesus. I know that if we didn't have the Bible, we would be... Um, very lost about all this. We'd just be comparing our own opinions against someone else's opinions. But thank you for giving us your solid word that never changes, it's never altered, it's, it's perfect. I pray that we trust that just as the original audience of John was supposed to trust the testimony of John the Baptist. I pray that we would trust the testimony of John the Baptist and also John the Apostles he writes to us. Thank you for giving us so much information. I know that we just kind of took a, a look at the the forest. We haven't really looked at the trees yet. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come back next week and study your word. I pray that you would help us learn it. I pray that you'd help us apply it, and that we, especially after this week, get to know you through what Jesus did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.